Hey everyone, welcome to another week of All Protein Weekly Live with my co-host Steve Molino. I'm Sonali Figueres from Green Queen. Great to have everybody back. Hey Steve. Hey Sonali. How's it going? Good. Good. No complaints. It's it's, uh, it's mid-July, so you know, it's a little quieter on the news cycles, but still still always some stuff gets through. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing, nothing. I mean, no crazy thing this week, but uh, no, yeah, still... nothing mega crazy, but still here and there. Um, so let's dive in. Um, so our big story this week is um a new report out of Asia by Asia Research and Engagement that essentially is talking about the impact of animal protein production on the region's greenhouse gas emission. They covered Asia's 10 largest markets. And the idea of the study is to look at, you know, what can be done to mitigate these emissions. And the study's showing some pretty stark in, you know, numbers. And they're claiming that alt protein would need to reach a market share of between 40 and 90%, depending on the market, alongside cutting out deforestation and other industrial animal production in order to essentially meet climate targets by 2030. So these are these are pretty um, radical numbers. So it's it's just interesting. I think Asia is often lost in the in the protein conversation. You know, a lot of the conversation centers around the US. And you know, that's one of our roles at Green Queen is to really show the Asian lens. Um, it's important for folks to remember that 60% of the world's population lives in Asia. A lot of the growth in protein consumption is coming from Asia, um, notably China, um, which is still much lower than the US in terms of per cap cap capita beef consumption, but in terms of volume is over double. So it's just really important for there to be a, a general focus on protein transition in Asia. What stood out for you on the, the report? Yeah, definitely. I agree with everything you just said about the importance of the APAC region and how it doesn't always get the the uh, attention it deserves. But the things that stood out for me were one that you, the, the, the thing that you hit on, which is this idea that the market share that they say is necessary to have the benefits that they're looking for is 40 to 90% the entire market needs to be alt protein according to this which i would love if that happens but <laughs> two two major things from that is one is i think always that the number one hurdle for alt protein is consumer acceptance and behavioral change so that's one but let's just say that somehow poof everyone wanted alt protein and no one wanted any animal products anymore to get to 40 to 90% of the market share being all protein, there will be such a monstrous need for infrastructure required to produce all of those alternative proteins. And by infrastructure, I don't mean just like bioreactors for fermentation or cultivated meat. I, even if you just say plant-based, we need a ton more production capacity for plant-based if we're going to have the market share that they're talking about. So, I mean, in my mind, that's trillions of dollars. And I'm sitting here being like, okay, so when is a true 
alt protein infrastructure investment firm going to pop up maybe we'll start it you and i let's do it but like (laughs) right like like but like it needs to happen it like because it's not just producing or getting the the products to consumers it's actually producing it and what's needed for that the one thing in there additional that was made me feel a little bit better is that it said that the partnership or the platform that that was that this research was funded by represents roughly three trillion dollars of capital. So right. not a bad start if you need a couple trillion dollars invested in infrastructure, but uh, my head went right to infrastructure for this. Yeah, I think that's really valid and important to call out. So really, once again, another report that's underlying the food and climate connection, you're not going to solve the crisis and get our GHG numbers down without addressing food and without addressing protein transition. And some of these numbers are very radical. I mean, 90% in certain markets is, it feels some days unachievable as of today, just because we're so far on so many fronts. But, mm-hmm. and I and I think for me, beyond the infrastructure point, which you've made very well, it, for me, what's really screaming out here is where is the public policy on this? And we cannot get there without major public policy change and changes in subsidies, in agriculture and changes in working with farmers to get them to think to 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 be part of this protein transition and and we need governments to invest in infrastructure we need universities and and research money to be allocated to this it's just not going at the speed that the data points to in terms of keeping us within a habitable range of 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 warming of planet warming based on rising emissions. So yeah, so infrastructure and policy, absolutely key. And also, you know, this is Asian governments are are gonna have to lead the way here because they are almost more at risk. Just in terms of water capacity, agricultural land capacity, um, the effects of climate change will be the worst in Asia. So we really need some action. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's actually the point about policy is actually a good a good segue into the one of the items in this newsletter that I thought was really interesting. It is the, the, this item is U.S. focused. It's not APAC focused, but it was this idea that right now, uh, apparently more than 160 NGOs are urging President Biden to issue an executive order that encourages federal facilities. So cafeterias and federal facilities to prioritize healthy plant-based foods. So basically people want, or they're trying to push Biden to say, make plant-based the the main thing within federal facilities or federal cafeterias. So uh, in in terms of policy, this is, this is such like, it feels like an easy one where it's not really hitting the everyday consumer or the entire population, but it feels like one where um, you could just say, if you make a certain majority of the cafeterias plant-based in federal facilities, um, it would push things forward and it would get people more comfortable with it, uh, at least at a smaller level. But it would also show them kind of taking action, leading by example, right? It would show the government or or public workers actually shifting to a sustainable, healthy diet so that when, if and when they do create policies that are for the general public, they could say, listen, we've been doing this ourselves. So I that stood out to me. Um, who knows if it'll actually happen, right? 
I mean, right. urging I, mean, I could I could urge President Biden to issue an executive order myself, but like <laughs> I don't think that right. would go anywhere. I mean, once again, we need food system change. We need a diet that is more plant based. There are arguments over what that plant based consists of. Are we talking, you know, more beans or or more, you know, plant burger patties? But there is not much of an argument around the fact that we need to reduce meat, dairy, and seafood in public facility uh, cafeterias in order, again, to meet GHT uh, reduction goals. And, and in this case, there's also kind of an improved health outcome call out. But uh, it's important to remind folks that last week we covered a story where, you know, it's it was basically the implication was that the, um, the U.S. government shies away from big food policy change because of a fear of voter backlash. So at some point, it goes back to we really need politicians to step up mm -hmm. all around yeah. the world. And I, I, I don't think that they are. And part of that is, again, this lack of connection that is being made between food system change and solving the climate crisis. So again, we we have to harp on that. We have, that connection needs to be louder. The media needs to talk about it more. And I've, I've shared before that these are some things I'm working on in the background and, you know, it's still a work in progress, but we, we need, it needs to be top of mind yeah, uh, I, in I, the I, way I, that I renewables think... are and EVs are, and it just isn't. I, I agree. And I think one, one little... Uh, not silver lining, but a positive thing on this idea is that in the background, while I think governments, at least in the U.S., are, are slow to push things forward, um, I have seen really, really positive developments in the public sphere with a lot of school districts shifting to plant-based diets, either fully or partially. There's a lot of startups out there that are um, able to now meet um, price parity or even price superiority for plant-based meats versus conventional meat. And that's been really pushing forward the adoption of plant-based in, in school districts because uh, they care so, a lot about, about the budget that they're working with to, to purchase food for their students. So maybe uh, we need we do need more uh, uh, more action from policymakers, but there are companies out there that are really pushing for progress and making progress, um, which is I think exciting. So all the startups out there, like, don't forget about the public public sphere. Think about them as a potential avenue for growth, because uh, it's I'm seeing it work for certain companies. Absolutely. But, be, that, but beyond that, that, what 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 stood out to you? Well, uh, this you know week? that that kind of uh, goes into like my next my call out, which was that Taco Bell UK has just has rolled out. Um, plant-based protein at all 132 of its restaurants nationwide at no extra cost to consumers when compared to the animal option, animal protein option. And it really strikes me that UK and you and EU chains like Burger King and McDonald's with the much plant and, and now Taco Bell seem to take these steps of really making the plant-based option affordable and accessible and rolling it out often nationwide after testing it and keeping it on the menu and, and doing all kinds of interesting campaigns like in Austria making the plant-based burger the default um, order and it's just in contrast to what's happening in U.S. 
um, fast food chains where there seems to be a reluctance to really make these bold moves and 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 the te the testing that is done or the limited releases don't often lead to bigger um wider kind of all outlet change as as much and not to say that there are not some bright spots and things are changing but you know it it there does seem to be two very different approaches and i i do wonder about is this because the consumers in the eu and in the uk are just much readier for that that option in in their yeah, why why do you so i agree but why do you think why do you think they're they're more ready for that well, I mean, based on everything I know, it feels like in the UK and in the EU, the in the UK, I would say animal welfare more, but in the EU, I would say the climate question more. It's just so much more prevalent and top of mind. And really, there is this understanding that we need to reduce beef consumption and dairy consumption and and to some, you know, and chicken and, and pork. Whereas uh, I, I'm not sure that that it's as strong of a of a consumer belief in the u.s no a hundred percent i mean I, i'll speak for the u.s but i i i feel like there's just as many people here that are bought into climate change they believe in the science they believe in the facts and then there's there's just as many that believe in that versus those that say it's a hoax it's not a real thing so um if if that's the environment that you're in then it's going to be really hard to get consumer acceptance to a shift away from what people want to eat. Um, and I've been blown away with what I've seen in the EU, especially I, I've seen things in, in Germany where um, meat consumption is decreasing. And if you look at younger generations, they just barely even have animal products uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. That's just so different than what I'm seeing here. Um, and, but I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's exciting to see that the big companies like a Taco Bell, which they are an animal based company that is worldwide, that if they see the consumer demand, they will react accordingly. And I am jealous, as always, of everyone in the UK, because it seems like every every time you see a big rollout of an awesome new plant based or alt protein option at a big chain, it's always in the UK or somewhere else in 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 Europe. So, um, maybe I should move. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. It, I mean, definitely you can see in the grocery stores as well in Europe, there's just more choice and it just seems like just overall, it's funny. Cause in Europe, there's also this real kind of connection to local and, and the origin of your meat, etc. And that seems to be in tandem with more plant protein. So again, there seems to be less of an either or dichotomy or polarization and much more of a, well, we need to reduce, so we need options, but it's not well, as I mean, absolutist. Yeah. It really isn't. And I think maybe that is more attractive to consumers to reduce. Mm -hmm. um, and of course we know that getting most people to reduce in terms of impact is 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 more effective than getting a few people to to go completely cold plant-based turkey, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think anybody who expects someone to be, become vegan or plant-based overnight, you're you're fooling yourself. It, that's that's such a rare thing to happen. 
Um, and there's so much good that can come from people just reducing animal product consumption. So, um, so, so maybe the lesson the is, is that it's less, yeah. it's less intimidating. It's less yeah. of a, and I, I, we've talked about this before, but it's less of an identity attack. Mm-hmm. No, hundred um, percent. In the U S it really feels like the discussion has been framed as you're either this or you're that. And yeah, which, which you know, is ridiculous. there's no gray space. Yeah. That, yeah. We need, we need to change that. Yeah. And, and, and I think that the way how, to do it is to media, introduce. Yeah. The media needs to change that. And the media in the U.S. plays into that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it would be a lot easier to switch if there know? was vegan, vegan crunch wraps everywhere, then it would be much, much easier. So, um, <laughs> yeah, or maybe the, yeah, maybe the answer is their bean crunch wraps or whatever it is, or their mushroom crunch wraps. And, and, you know, maybe we accept that certain terms feel polarizing to people and we, you know, we, we offer people a more accessible kind of achievable goal. And I just, I don't 100%. know that that's, that's what's happening. So I, Look, yeah. there's a lot of extremism out there. And I know that there's, there's probably some that would maybe hear this and disagree, but I think if you're just, you're yelling at people, telling them to change because what they're doing is bad and they need to stop it completely. It's a losing, that's a losing approach. It's not going to work. So um, we need a more, more gray area approach, a middle ground approach. I think that's the right way to transition um, to, to the food system we want. Um, but on a, on a lighter note, on a, on an optimistic note, I did realize that this, this newsletter this week had multiple items in there that hit on a topic that I think is really important, especially for the startups in the space, but um, non-dilutive capital. So again, I'm, I'm, I work in, in the VC space. So we are fully dilutive, right? We, we acquire equity of the companies um, and we are the most expensive capital that exists. So it, I always say to startups, if you don't need VC dollars, don't use it. Don't raise VC dollars. It's hard to do. But in this newsletter, both from GFI APAC and GFI, so the Good Food Institute APAC and uh, Good Food Institute International Partners, as well as an organization in Canada called Protein Ind Industries Canada, there's two items in there that say that they have money to put to work that is non-dilutive. And every startup in the space should be trying to fully look into that and see if they they can, if it's applicable to them. And um, I've seen firsthand, I, I've talked to Protein Industries Canada before, and it's amazing because this, this newsletter said that they have 10 million Canadian dollars to put to projects on a specific topic, but I know that they had $170 million dedicated to plant-based over a five-year period, and that they're about to uh, get another $750 million where a portion of that would be put towards plant-based and all protein and towards projects where there's there's collaboration between startups in the space. And I've seen it, I've seen startups that raise it, raise money from them. They're a great organization. But again, just seeing multiple things in here about non-dilutive capital for companies in the alt-protein space. I absolutely love that. That's a great one to end on. And that's something I, I care very deeply about, which is finding other ways to fund food system change. I think too much onus has been put on the VC model and 
I like to joke, you know, that VCs are spoiled from like the good SaaS years. And I just don't know that we can, we can apply those paradigms to the food world and food system change. And we need more um, matching situations where VC dollars are matched with public money. Um, BPI in France, the public investment bank does this really well and has completely revolutionized France's tech sector as a result. Um, I want to see more situations like that where, and that's where again, the public policy comes in where there's an understanding that we need infrastructure and we need, um, you know, upstream solutions to come in and create infrastructure for this industry. And, and again, recognizing that we do need to make this transition. And so we need different types of funding, different models. Entrepreneurs need to feel like it's not just about getting those VC tickets. And right yeah. now, it, I very rarely meet entrepreneurs that are thinking beyond VC money. Yeah, and that's frustrating because it's like, like I VC is not for every type of business. And I think the reason every company was VC backed in the earlier days of this space is because there was no other money, right? It was only VC money that was available. So it's either get it from a, a venture capital firm or maybe don't have a business, right? So that was the unfortunate truth. And I get excited when I see things like GFI, Protein Industries Canada, or BPI, like you're, you're mentioning, alternative approaches to funding for businesses that might not always be the right fit for venture capital. Uh, it's just, that's exciting. There's other paths. So I think every company should be trying to fully understand those other paths. And if you're a VC backable business, super high growth, awesome. Go raise VC dollars. But if you're not, there's there's other options out there. And I think that's good. Absolutely. Well, as always, there's always a common thread in our discussion somehow. So this has been a good one on, on public policy and and kind of different ways to look at the problem and address the, the big issues. Oh, is that the, the thread for you? For me, it was, uh, I need another crunch wrap. <laughs> but okay, I, I guess my... I guess the I guess the real thread was public policy. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. I need my first crunch wrap. I'm still jealous that you and Mikhail got to eat those and they seemed so good. Oh they're so good. <laughs> um by the way, it's not the crunch wrap that was launched in the UK. So I'm just saying that is still a three location US special. Although I think oh, I feel so special now. <laughs> yeah, I think they stopped it. And I, I was reading online, oh, no. begging the company to roll it out nationwide because it was so good. Well, I'm happy that I got two instead of one then. Um, <laughs> we got we to figure out but how to I get gotta it double check that. So that might be <laughs> I got to double check that. But I did see someone imploring the company saying, please, it was so delicious. So hopefully it gets rolled out further. So that's all we have time for, folks. Hope everyone is getting some some sun if you're in the Northern Hemisphere and enjoying summer, but staying safe. And if not, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, hope it's not too cold wherever you are. And we'll be back next week with more All Protein Weekly Live. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>